don't be so gullible. So uh, that's what we're going to do. But for the sake of time, rather than reading the whole chapter, uh, I'm just going to read today the portions that are relevant to what would have been part two or point two of our sermon last week. Now, don't panic. I'm going to give you enough context so that we're not just pulling verses out. Uh, but next week, we'll read. Uh, we'll do the same thing. We'll read the rest so that we can uh, get part three down as well. But today, what I want to do is read verses one through eight, and then I also want to read verses 18 through 20. So, First uh, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and then 18 through 20. Let's hear God's word together. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you had heard was coming in, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then in verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever for for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, through this, your word, uh, your word that is the the sword of the Spirit, equip us with the full armor of God so that we might learn from you, uh, so that we might love you more, uh, and so that we might be able to stand as your people against the evil one. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last time, uh, if you were with us, you'll remember that I I began our time in chapter 4 by recounting for you Uh, One of the the many exploits uh, my friends and I entered into when we were in high school. And I'm not going to take the time to retell that story this morning, but for those of you who were not here, uh, it involved listening to some unwise advice, uh, which led eventually to my truck being almost completely submerged underwater, and to me wondering in those moments how exactly I was going to explain all of this uh, to my parents, and I could hear them saying in those moments, what in the world were you thinking? Why would you have let them talk you into this? Now, for those of you who were left wondering, and apparently it was many of you because you asked, I did make it out, I did, and no, I did not tell that it happened. In fact, it is only within recent years that my parents have known that this has happened, I figured the the statute of limitations had run down or something at this point. Um, So, but we did make it. Everything was good. But the point of the story uh, was to illustrate the importance of who or what we listen to 
and how important it is that we test all that comes our way. Uh, As Christians particularly, uh, we must hold all things up against the Word of God, against the Gospel, and against the, the Word made flesh, against Jesus Christ, our Savior. We can't be gullible enough to just accept things at face value, the things that the world throws at us. We can't accept it without doing some some critical analysis. You know, we have the standard. We have it there in Scripture. We have it in Jesus' life. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us, helping us to understand and apply those truths. And so for our own good, for the good of our families, for the good of the church, and more importantly than all of that, for the glory of the triune God, we must be alert enough and prepared enough to test the eternal or kingdom value of all the things that we consume and of all the things and people that we surround ourselves with. And John began by telling us that that all of that starts with testing the spirits. Uh, We were reminded of this Wednesday night, and, and I haven't said this, but I'm so thankful for the way that God is sort of intertwining all of this teaching everywhere we go. So on Wednesday nights, he's hitting us with the same things. Uh, Some of you have said in Sunday school that similar things have been said, and and I'm thankful for the way that the Lord works all of that out. But on Wednesday night, we were reminded that our battle is not primarily with flesh and blood, but it is with the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers of this age and those that are in the heavenly places. All of us, whether we are actively fighting or not, and hear me say that, whether you think you are or not, we are all in a spiritual battle. Satan and his forces are doing all they can to overcome you. And they are doing all they can, maybe maybe even more than that, to to at least get you to, to just be comfortable, to just not see the way that they are scheming against you. He's just as content for us to be quote-unquote good people who are on the road to hell as he is for us to be quote-unquote bad people whose sins are obvious for all the world to see. So that means, and we said this last week, that we have to wake up. We have to be alert. We have to test the values, the intentions, the worth of all things in the world. Again, how all of that measures up to Christ. So, first, we test the spirits. Now today, we move on to what would have been point two, and what we see is not only do we test the spirits, but John shows us how, and he encourages us to, test other people. To test other people. Again, that practical parental advice that's said to us over and over again, it's important who you listen to. It's important who you surround yourself with. That's not just parent speak. That that is biblical, godly truth. A truth he has certainly, God has certainly communicated throughout Scripture. Think back to the Old Testament. You know, the people of God in the Old Testament, they were set apart to his service and to his glory. They were his people. So they could not associate with other nations, at least in terms of intermarriage, at least in terms of customs. In fact, God was so committed to this idea that what did he call them to do when they entered into the promised land? 
called them to, to wipe them all out, right? Now, why did he do that? Well, certainly it was a form of God's judgment on those people who had opposed him, who had turned away from him. We also need to recognize that he did it as a means of protection for his people. He knew what would happen if they interacted with the inhabitants of the land. He knew that they would turn away from him. And in fact, that's exactly what they did. The, the book of Judges is all about the fact that they fell into these cycles of apostasy with other nations. They, they worshipped other gods. They fell away from the one true God. Israel, they, they did not test those who were in the land. And they fell right in with them. Now, now this truth is just as true in the New Testament. How does Peter describe us? He calls us aliens, right? That we are a kingdom of priests. Again, we, we are called to be a holy nation set apart to God's glory. Now look, that's pause just for a second to say that, that what I'm encouraging us to today uh, is not the practice of Joshua or Judges. You know, we are not, at least in that way, the instrument of God's judgment any longer. Though we're going to see that maybe we are an instrument of God's judgment in a way. I'm also not encouraging us today to, to discriminate or, or to isolate ourselves from the world, just to cut ourselves off completely. What I am encouraging us to do today as we get into this sermon is to build proper boundaries. To remember that we are kingdom people. We are not a people of this world. And friends, I'm going to encourage us, and this is hard, to face the truth that Christ gives us, that those who are not for us, they are against us. Whether they mean to be or not, whether that is their intention or not, that is the simple truth of Scripture. As Dr. Ferguson said Wednesday night, we have to know our enemy. And so, we need to test people. We need to see how they measure up, or at least where they stand with God and with his word. Where do their loyalties lie? And John shows us how we can do that in at least three ways. First, he says that we can test people based off of how they speak. You see that there in verse 5. Now, as, as someone who has been called to pastoral ministry, and I'm sure that, that Bill would testify to the truth of this as well, you know, our primary job is twofold. It is to speak, and it is to listen. And what I have found over the course of the years, and I found this to be true about myself and also about other people, is that the way that we speak, the, the words that we use, the topics that we broach, the, even the tone of our voice, they almost always are in line with the reality of who we are. Our speech tell so much about our hearts. I want to say that's 100% true all the time, but there may be some exceptions to it, but it's true a great majority of the time. Now look, you could take my word for that, but if you turn to Scripture, you're going to find that this is confirmed throughout the pages of Scripture. So if you turn to, to the book of Proverbs, and I encourage you to have your, your Bibles open this morning because we're going to be doing a lot of flipping around, okay? So if you go uh, to Proverbs, 
uh, chapter 18 and in verse 20. It says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Also flip over back to the New Testament to James. James chapter 1. You may want to mark James because we're going to come back to it in a little while. But James chapter 1 and verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he is a religious man and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then he goes on to say in chapter 3 and in verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life. And then one last one here uh, in Matthew. Matthew chapter 15, verses 11 and 18. Jesus says, our Lord says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then in verse 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Our words, they reveal the reality of our hearts. And so, it is with that truth in mind that John says to us here that we need to test the speech of others. And there are several elements to to testing someone else's speech. What is it in their speech that we should test? Well, the most obvious thing is we test their, their theology. We test what they believe to be true about Christ, about the gospel. You know, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, why ultimately do you turn them away? Well, it's because what they're going to say about Jesus is going to directly contradict what we said last week in verses 2 and 3 of 1 John chapter 4. They are going to not believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Their speech will tell us. It's the same thing with with, uh, the Mormon religion. Why do we turn them away? It's because their speech directly contradicts the revelation that we have in Christ. The final revelation. Our Revelation 22.18, they add to Scripture. Look, the same is true for, for evolutionists or atheists or agnostics. Those who will directly tell you in their speech the things they believe. When they tell you, believe them. The problem, of course, is most of us do not begin normal conversations uh, by giving our confession of faith. You know, I don't say, hello, I'm Stephen, I believe in the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ who is born of the Virgin. You know, I don't go into all of that when I'm just having a regular conversation. So, how then do we test someone's speech? Well, again, I would say to you that we do it in at least three ways. We test their content, the content of their speech. Is it just crude language? Is it just dirty jokes all the time? Well, if you turn to Ephesians, I've got more markers in this Bible today than I don't know what to do with, so it's going to take me a while to get there. Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. Or again in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, 
which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. The content of our mouths, what the words that we choose to use, the things that we choose to say, tells us about our hearts. What about our tone of voice? Again, if, if you turn to Proverbs, Proverbs uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And then back in the New Testament, and I know I've, y'all don't have to follow me around to all of these places if you don't want to. I encourage you to, but Colossians chapter 4, and in verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The tone of our voice, the way we speak to other people, matters. Then lastly, the the topics that we choose to take up. You know, we, we profess, and I use this quote often, that our hearts are perpetual idol factories, and we see that most in the things that we talk about. The things that, that we love are inevitably the things that we will speak about most often. If we're talking about worldly pursuits all the time, worldly pleasures, if that's the, the idol of our heart, it will come out in what we say. Now, to be sure, in all of these, we recognize that as Christians, we struggle in these areas as well. And so my point is not to suggest that you can't be a Christian if you falter in these areas. As a preacher, I would be the first one to tell you that yes, we do falter often in the way that we speak to one another. And so my point is that if this is the pattern of a person's speech, if this is the way that they speak the majority of the time, then there is at the very minimum a reason to be cautious. There's a reason to build up that that proper boundary. Again, as the saying goes, if someone shows you who they are, in this case, if they tell you who they are, believe them. Let that determine the nature of the relationship that you are going to have with them, whether that's a need to evangelize them, or to be an acquaintance with them, or to avoid them altogether. But use the knowledge of God, use the knowledge of Scripture to analyze and to test people's speech. Secondly, We test people based off of how they listen. Now, I don't have to tell you that we live in a world of podcasts and media and a a whole host of voices that are vying for our ears. And the truth is, is it seems that we're pretty willing to to let our ears be taken by all of these things. You know, I'm amazed. I go into Walmart or, well, Walmart's about the only place I go, but I go there a lot. And when I go in, I see all these people walking around with AirPods in their ears and I'm wondering, like, and this may be you, so I don't mean to offend you, but how in the world do you have a conversation with these things in your ear? But they do. It's amazing. They'll be talking to people in the aisle, and they'll have AirPods. I don't understand. But we listen constantly to all of these various things. And John says the way that we listen and what we listen to, it says a lot about who we are. Uh, notice there in verse 6 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, it's interesting to me that he does not say whoever listens to God's word 
or whoever listens to, to the apostles. Well, what he says is whoever listens to us. Now, to be sure, John was an apostle, and so maybe he has his apostolic authority in mind there. But given that he is speaking to a group of Christians, I feel like he may be including them in the us. In other words, what he's saying is whoever does not listen to the sound doctrine of the church, the sound doctrine of what believers have believed, as he says in this book so often, from the beginning. Now really, the, the issue is not who us is, but the issue is, is what us speaks, right? Uh, what is us delivering? It is orthodox teaching. It is biblical truth. And it's that that the world, that these people, will not listen to. It's the gospel that they will not hear. John says, if that's the case, then they are not from God. And look, I'll admit to you that um, it always it blows my mind and it frustrates me uh, when I see people react so negatively to the gospel. I'm not surprised by it, but it does frustrate me. And honestly, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, people will listen to all kinds of mind-numbing disjunct but they will refuse, they will absolutely stick their fingers in their ear like a small child and run around screaming rather than listen to the truth of the gospel. And you know, I want to say to them, even if you can't bring yourself to believe that it's true, don't you want it to be true? Don't, wouldn't you love for something like this to be true? Forgiveness? Forgiveness that cost you nothing? Justice? eternal life, someone who will love you no matter what, who has loved you with the most glorious sort of love, seen you at your worst and loves you. If they're honest, they absolutely want something like that to be true. Yet so many will not hear it. They run the other way. Have you ever wondered why that is? Why is it that they are so opposed to the good news? Well, friends, Scripture tells us, and I think what Scripture tells us, it helps reveal to us why John is so intent that, that we test the way people listen to us. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 14, Paul says there that, that people don't hear uh, because the natural man, he cannot understand the things of God, right? Right? Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The reality is, is apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, that the, these things that we hear, the gospel, it, does, it makes no sense. You know, the cross, the message of Jesus, it is foolishness to a lost world, a world lost in sin, which leads us to the second thing that Scripture tells us. Not only will they not hear it, but it says they do not want to hear it. That they are, by nature, opposed to God. James chapter 4. And in verse 4. 
He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Same thing in Romans 5. Same thing in Romans 8. In other words, they don't hear the things of God, not just because they can't understand them, but because they don't want to understand them. They, they are opposed to God. And then the last reason, which may be the hardest for us to stomach, and all of these are hard for us to stomach, is that people don't hear the word of God as a form of his own judgment against them. I won't ask you to turn there, but you know in Isaiah chapter 6, it's his call from God. He goes up into the throne room of God. He sees this great scene, God on the throne, and then he gets commissioned. And do you remember what the commission is? God says, go out to this people and speak to them so that when they hear, they will not hear. So that as you speak to them, their hearts will be turned to stone. Their hearts will be hardened. It's the same thing in Matthew chapter 13 when the disciples ask Jesus why he speaks in parables. It's so that when they hear, they will not hear. And then the verse at the top of your bulletin, it says it as well. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Now I said at the beginning that, that we are no longer the instrument of God's judgment the, say, the way that the people of Israel were in the Old Testament and that's true. Friends, the reality is, and Bill and I bear this burden, and all of us do, as we take the word out before us. Every time the word goes out, it is either life or it is death. It, it is either building people up in the truth of the faith, or it is hardening their hearts. Look, that's, that's hard. That's a hard reality to wrap my mind around, or for any of us to, to wrap our mind around. The way we hear, it draws a line in the sand. It is the test. And so those who will not listen, uh, we must be cautious with. No matter how nice, no matter how kind, no matter how likable they may be, by nature, they are on the opposite side of the fight. They're on the other side. They, they are, to, to have no other way to put it, they are the enemy. That's what Scripture says to us. So we test, bless you. We test how they speak. We test how they listen. And then finally in this passage, I'd have you notice that we test the way that people love. We test the way people love. And you see that there in verse 8 and in verse 20. Now I know what you're thinking. Um, love again? <laughs> you know, John has, has hit us with this topic over and over and over again. And he's going to do it again next week, so you might as well get ready for it. But uh, what, he, what is clear is that love is pretty important. You know, it must be a, a defining, separating feature of Christianity. And that's certainly what he says here. Those who do not love their brother are not from God. So we test based on how they love. Let me ask you this. How good of a test is love in our world today? After all, doesn't the, the world claim to be all about love? 
I mean, isn't it the, that isn't love the justification for every group out there? We are just trying to be loving. And isn't that the accusation they in fact throw against the church? You people are not loving at all. So maybe, maybe this test is not a good one. Maybe we shouldn't use this particular test. Well, before we make that conclusion, let me ask you three more questions. How well does the world really love? Sure, they love you if you're like them. They love you if you agree with their position. But let's be honest. Most everybody loves like that. What about when you oppose them? What about those that, that don't like what we have to say or what you have to say? How well do they love you then? They scream that we all have to love one another no matter what, but one another is a very select group. Secondly, how loving are the world's acts, really? What I mean is how loving are the things that the world does? Are they really all that loving? The world's definition of love is, I'm going to let you be whatever you want to be. You go do whatever you want to do, and I'm going to allow you to do that. And that's going to be how I love you. But is that love? Is loving someone enough to let them mutilate their body, or make really poor decisions, or steer themselves right towards hell, really love? You know, if I'm on the way home, there's not any cliffs between here and home, but if I'm on the way home and I'm about to drive off a cliff and Ben's behind me and he does not stop me somehow, some way, he just says, you know what, that's the way he wants to go, I'm going to let him drive right off the cliff, that's not very loving. Me and Ben would have some issues if I survived. But that's the way the world wants us to love. They want us to let people do whatever they want to do, but friends... We're letting them go the wrong way. Loving them is turning them the way that they need to go. Thirdly, how committed is the world's love? And we've really already hit on this, but I would ask it again. It's committed as long as you have something to offer to them or agreeable to their way of thinking. But what happens when you stop being those things? Their, their love tends to fade away. It does not last is the point that I'm trying to make. It doesn't last over the long haul. And so again, I'll ask, how loving is the world? Not very loving, it seems. And when you hold it up against the standard of Christ, we might say that it is not loving at all. And so as we test people, we do so based off of their love. We do so based off of their uh, their speech, and we do so based off of the way that they listen. Now, as we try to bring this thing into the landing pad here, as we try to, to close this thing out, let's recognize that, that we have, just in these three points, we have built a, a fairly significant boundary between Christians and the majority of our American culture. Again, I'm not telling you that, that you have to give up all relationships. I'm not telling you that you have to give up all forms of entertainment, because I don't think that's true. But I am telling you that there should be a lot of red flags going up in your mind when you consume entertainment, 
when you see actors or musicians or athletes or YouTubers, young people, or politicians speak, there should be red flags going off always in your mind telling you that, hey, this is not consistent with the gospel. These people may be fun. They may be entertaining. They may be smart. But we best keep them at arm's length. As we said last week, don't accept people hook, line, and sinker. Don't just turn off your brain and accept them with open arms. No, Jesus has given you the standard. He's given you His standard. So we would do well to hold people up against it and see things as they truly are. Now look, one last thing and we're going to be done. Ben has has led us to a great point. How do we handle the world once we do that? You know, sometimes that may mean we have to avoid them altogether, but more times than not, that means we need to go out in evangelism, okay? We need to go out and pursue people, take the gospel to them, remind them of the truth. And that may mean that they reject us outright. Friends, that's the obligation that Scripture has given us. That's what Christ has called us to do as his people and as his church, is to go out take the gospel with us as our weapon, as our shield, and as the means by which we call people to him. Well, lest you think that that I'm being overly critical of the world and of people, next week we're going to test ourselves, and we're going to be as critical of ourselves as we have been of all of these other things. We're going to test ourselves against this same standard, the standard of Christ. But for now, let's pray together. Father God, we are... So thankful for the way that you have called us out and made us your people. Uh, And Lord, that call comes with an obligation to guard our hearts and guard our families, to guard our church. And we do that through these means that that John has given us here by testing the spirits, by testing other people. And we're going to see next week by testing ourselves. And we hold all of these things up, not against our opinions, not against what we think love is or kindness is or our goodness is, not against what we think eternal life is, but we hold all of these things up against Scripture, against the Gospel, against Jesus Christ raised and seated at your right hand. He is the standard for all of our lives. And so, Lord, I ask that, that you would convict us, all of us, right now where we are. It's so easy to get comfortable in this world to get comfortable with our, our ease and our entertainment and the, the, the luxuries that we have and to forget that all of us are in a battle and that we need to be prepared to fight. We need to be prepared to test at, at all moments. Lord, equip us with that armor of God. Help us to be ready. Help us to be awake. Help us to be watchful for all of the things that come our way. And Lord, we're thankful that we have Christ who is the, the victorious, conquering king. Lord, even when we are lax, even when we are asleep, he is vigilant. He never sleeps. He is always guarding his people. And so we rejoice in that truth. We lean into it. We, we throw ourselves completely upon it. And we're so thankful for the love that you have shown us in Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let us encourage one another now as we conclude our service with hymn number 571, to stand up for Jesus. Hymn number five. Rejoice as we conclude our service together.